rotten motherfucker. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mostly Homeless Podcast. I'm your host, Damn it, Damien. Hi, boys and girls. Welcome to 2014. And boy, do we have an exciting year planned for you guys. Uh, we're starting off right, and we're starting off with my good buddy, Mr. PJ Bond. Now, PJ has toured around the world. This guy has been everywhere once and twice. Uh, you know, he's he's a really nice, solid dude. Love him to death. We've hung out a handful of times, and like we're going to talk about in today's interview, he remembers me every single time, blows me away because he, uh, he meets a lot of people. But we talk about that in today's interview and episode. Uh, hopefully, you guys had a good New Year's. I know I did. Uh, you know what we did on New Year's Eve? Well, uh, earlier in the evening, we did a live Mostly Harmless event from Illegal Pete's here on South Broadway in uh, Denver, Colorado, my new hometown. And uh, we did a live event where I interviewed the band for about 10, maybe 8 to 10 minutes. And then they played like a 15, 20-minute live set for uh, for free at Illegal Pete's. We got that videotaped. It's in the process of being edited right now. It's going to be up on YouTube and MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com, hopefully by this time next week. That's pretty killer. Uh, we've got a killer year planned for 2014. Uh, my New Year's resolution is to make sure we do one episode of Mostly Harmless a week, for the remainder of the year. I think we can do it, buddies. I think we can make this happen because I live in Denver now where uh, bands and music fall off the trees here or some shit like that. I don't even know, buddies. Uh, first off, I'd like to uh, thank Illegal Pete's. Illegal Pete's are going to be our sponsor for the next couple episodes. Uh, and Illegal Pete's Soundcheck is uh, it's a pretty cool deal. If you're in the Denver or Boulder area, if you live anywhere near Illegal Pete's or if you're coming up, stop by an Illegal Pete's with a concert ticket from a same-day show. That's concert or comedy show. Uh, you bring your same-day ticket in. Um, it could be before or after the show. You'll get a free draft beer with your purchase of an adult meal. What? How cool is that? I mean, they've got beers from Avery, New Belgium, Ska, Odell, Oscar Blues, and yeah, they even got Coors Lights. You can go in, you can get yourself a free Coors Light, although I'd recommend maybe a Nodell beer instead. That might be a little bit more up your speed. Uh, just bring in your ticket stub, buy a delicious burrito. I recommend the Big Fish myself personally, and you'll get a free uh, free draft beer. How fucking cool is that? Uh, visit IllegalPeats.com for more information. Uh, and also, um, just they're not a sponsor for this week, but this is too good a deal to pass up. Uh if you live in one of the major cities of America where Uber is available, Uber is a black car service. Instead of taking a cab, you download the Uber app. They give you a fair price quote, and they take you home. You get to ride in a luxurious black sedan or SUV or one of their many other awesome cars. Now, these are the cars that, like, celebrities and whatnot ride around in. So who do you think drives the Denver Nuggets around? What do these cars do when they're not driving Denver Nuggets around? They're driving you around, buddies, with this Uber app. So if you go to Uber.com, try out the promotional code for Mostly Harmless. It's P-0-C-C-I. You'll receive 20 bucks of free credit. I rode this bad boy home uh, from Illegal Pete's holiday party. I didn't have to pay a thing because my 20 bucks covered my whole whole ride from uh, the Summit Music Hall to my apartment uh, a couple blocks away from Illegal Pete's South Broadway. That's awesome, guys. So uh, you can find more information about that on our uh, MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com webpage. You can find all about Uber and how, to, uh, how you can get 20 bucks worth of Uber credit. Again, that code is P0CCI. Uh, and again, PJ Bond this week, buddies. Uh, I don't really have too much more to ramble about. Uh, if you like what you hear today, if this is your first episode of Visiting Mostly Harmless Podcast, please visit us online at mostlyharmlesspodcast.com. 
Uh, leave us a review. Like us on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. Subscribe on iTunes. You know, buddies, do all that good stuff that you already know how to do, and you don't need me telling you what to do. We can do it together, buddies. Um, we joined PJ at the Larimer Lounge here in Denver, Colorado. I've been trying to score an interview with PJ now for a little while now, but I'm glad it worked out tonight. It worked out perfectly. It's beautiful. I drink a little too much coffee, so I start stuttering. When will I learn not to drink two pots of coffee before going into an interview? But that's okay, buddies. It's okay. But before we sit down with PJ, let's uh, let's play a little song so those of you who don't know him can get a uh, can hear what this guy's all about. Uh, stay tuned after the show. We're gonna have a couple songs of PJ's live set from the Larimer Lounge, opening for Maria Taylor. Great quality. Awesome songs. It's the last two songs of a set, so it makes it a fitting choice to put them at the end of this here episode that we're doing today. Uh, but this this song we're going to play right now for you is called Darling, I've Been Drinking Nights. It comes off the uh, Brother Bones, Baby Bones split LP that PJ did back in June of 2012 with his brother, Brian Bond. I think you're going to like this, folks. I think you're going to like PJ. I think you're going to enjoy the hell out of this interview. I think I'm going to enjoy the hell out of you enjoying the hell out of this interview. I should just stop rambling. So let's go again. This is Darling, I've Been Drinking Nights with P.J. Bond. Darling, I've been drinking nights And sleeping all day long Wasting time still searching for what's wrong been so long since I've had a place that I called home. Been hanging out in back seats and in bars. Someday maybe you will make an honest man out of me. When you do, I will bet you. I love Cause they're the best they come This way I know I'm a lucky man I've built walls around this heart And they're never coming down I'm selfish and I can't commit Surprised you're still around Surprised you're still around Oh, someday maybe you will make An honest man out of me When you do, I will bet you down my queen I'm not easy, no, I'm a roamer The worst kind you've ever seen Hanging out in the basement of the Larimer Lounge with Mr. PJ Bond here. PJ, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Yeah. I'm uh, doing well. I'm a little cold, but uh, probably not as cold as you driving in the car all day. How was the drive? <laughs> the drive was 
something else. We we just came down from Fort Collins today. We're oh, cool. hanging out with the Arliss Nancy boys, nice. which uh, you know, good family for all of us. But where the fuck are they? Do they stay up there? I think most of them stayed up. Oh, which you know, we just got off the road. I think maybe they were sick of seeing me every single night <laughs> for you know five weeks or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the the first time I ever saw you was here in Denver. You were playing with Austin Lucas at Lions Lair. Killer show. I got really drunk and I was like. Hey man, we're, let's do an interview. And then I set my eyes on this uh, very nice friend of mine and decided I was going to hit on her all night. Uh, it didn't go out. It didn't end up very well. Uh, she actually won't talk. Well, she talks to me, but it's kind of like, uh, yeah, you kind of drunkenly asked me out really badly. I'm going to avoid you for the rest of the time. But then we ran into each other at Death of False Hope Fest. Yep, that was a great time. Yeah, and then again, in uh, we saw each other again in Omaha. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I was very happy because you actually kind of sort of remembered me from that one time at the Lion's Lair all the way to Death of Pulse Hope Fest, like almost a year later. And I was like, whoa, you got a hell of a memory, sir. Good <laughs> well, you. Uh, you should you should feel good about it because I don't remember anyone ever. So, oh. uh, But Austin's a good buddy of both of ours, and yeah. he spoke very highly of you. And, and we did have a nice brief conversation. So, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, so um, let's see what I got here. Oh, I've been following you ever since, and uh, I was super excited that uh, you went on tour with the Arliss Dudes. I was super bummed that uh, I couldn't go, but they had already previously promised that tour to KO. Hopefully he did a good job selling selling your merch. Absolutely. KO, uh, KO did a great job. Uh, he he earned the nickname Trimps but, uh, nice. from, from random dumb tour stories, but oh, that's yeah. how I call him, Trimps. But, yeah, Trimps. KO was a good time. <laughs> good time. Well, I would have done better, but that's okay. It's all right. <laughs> I'll, I'll forgive him. Um, so, yeah, you've toured all across this uh, great world of ours. Uh, where did it all begin? Where did you grow up at? I grew up in northeastern New Jersey and started playing electric guitar and singing in alternative rock bands in the, nice. the mid-90s, just like pretty much everyone else who was, you know, 13 at the time. Yeah. How old are you now? I'm 32 now. Oh, we're the same age. Good. Oh, there you go. Same, probably the similar uh, stories here, except for different climates. I grew up in uh, North Louisiana, you grew up in Jersey. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I was just uh, an alternative rock kid, and then yeah. it kind of got old, and I found punk rock, and that led me to, you know, start bands and <laughs> buy cheap vans and break down in yeah. Indiana and all those kinds of things. And uh, eventually, I kind of got sick of doing the, the band thing. I was doing the hired musician thing for a while that wore me out, and so I uh, just started writing some of my own songs, and that's kind of what. Yeah. What took me to here? Uh, when did you? Uh, when did your first musical obsession start? Can you pinpoint it to a certain moment, where like you heard a certain record and went, "Oh man, what is this? Give me more." My parents tell me that I sang ever since I was a little kid. Like I used to go on the porch and play with my toys and sing whatever songs were on the radio. Um, the the first like real kind of clear memory I have that would differentiate maybe me from someone who just was a casual fan was my parents offered me when I was around seven or six yeah probably seven years old they said um, you know what do you want for your birthday and and they gave me a couple of ideas of course I could have chosen anything I really wanted within reason but uh, they said like oh do you want a skateboard or, or a little stereo and I said I want a stereo and I remember getting this little red stereo and it was like the old school kind where you could pop a tape in and you could press play and record and it had a small mic on it so you could you know, I would put it up against the television if there was a song in a movie I liked or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, I, I remember being obsessed with the, uh, the like the ballad from 
uh, an American Tale, that five old movie. Yeah. So I couldn't have been older than seven or six or something, you know. Because by the time I was nine, I was wearing Guns N' Roses t-shirts to school and like, getting in trouble with my teachers. So there, there must have been, you know, I don't know, a few years of... Yeah. Of, of more tame music. Cool. You're the middle of three brothers, right? I am, yes. Yeah. yeah. What was your uh, family like, life like growing up? My family's always been just really pretty, pretty like easygoing, middle of the road. Yeah. As far as, there's nothing like sensational about, we were never overly poor, overly rich or anything, you know, just kind of medium in that sense. But um, my dad played a little guitar and a little piano. You know, he's a dude who grew up in the 70s and, uh, or 60s whatever so it was just around but music was not like a huge part of our household until I started getting really into like rock and roll records um, my older brother always liked music his friends gave me Guns N' Roses records and Talk. stuff uh, but nothing crazy you know it was never like this underground obsession I never had that older friend who gave me punk records um, and my younger brother I taught him how to play like his first song on his guitar and then he's been better than me ever since <laughs> what song was that? I think it was Pure Massacre by Silverchair. Nice. <laughs> That's a good one. It was a, it was one of their songs that was in drop D, and I just showed him, like, put your finger here and put your finger there, and oh, and then take the hand off, and it's three chords, and you got the song, yeah. you know? Uh, when did, um, w- did you guys have, like, a sibling rivalry growing up, or was it pretty tame, pretty boring? No, I mean, it wasn't boring, but it was, it was definitely a positive thing. It, there wasn't really a rivalry. My older brother and I are two years apart to the day. Oh, wow. So I was his second birthday present, uh, <laughs> the best one ever. But he he took me to go see the Battle of the Bands when he was like uh, a sophomore in high school and I was in eighth grade. And I saw the band that made me realize that I could play like in a local band. And that, and that band eventually went on tour, and so they were the band that made me realize I could go on tour, you know. So he brought me to that. In a lot of ways, you know, he introduced me to this world. Yeah. What band was that? At the time, they were called the Autopilots, and uh, when they did their most stuff, they were called Penfold. Okay. And uh, they were on the third Emo Diaries comp that, um, I think it was like Deep Elm used to do yep. those things. And and uh, so because of that, they were well-known all over, you know, that whole scene, that Emo scene loved them. They had the by far the best song within the yep. first, like, five comps, you know. Were you playing already, or uh, did yeah. it start shortly after? I, I had been playing, like, bad guitar, you know, like, uh, <laughs> going to take lessons at the local music shop and learning the intro to every yeah. bad, you know, alternative rock song. I could play you, like, the first five chords to plush and then like the or like the intro to a Jimi Hendrix song you know I I just like I knew I wanted to play but I didn't really know how to how to approach it and uh, you know Nirvana made it seem like you could do it as far as playing goes but I didn't really see that you could do it on a local level until those guys when I was about 13 or 12 yeah how long did it take you to join that first band or start Uh, it I should say uh, so I saw I saw that battle of the bands uh, the spring of my eighth grade year and I made a decision that I would have a band at the talent show my freshman year, which would have been that next spring. So I, yeah, I, or maybe that next like winter. So I had a band within like eight months of that time playing, yeah. which was, uh, which was cool. And how long until you hit the road yourself? Um, cause I, I know you've mentioned that you did some, uh, fill in gigs, you know, guns for hire kind of thing. How long between that and, uh, going on your first tour was it? My first band, I was 14 years old. And, oh, so it was probably a little And while. my first tour was when I was 19. So that's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as soon as I went to college and I met my buddies, the I joined their band. Like, it was three guys. I joined their band. Um, we cut a demo, and 
I, the next week I started booking our first tour. Nice. What band was that? It was a like a '90s, like a late '90s style emo indie rock band called Outsmarting Simon. Yeah, I listened to a little bit of that today. I'd never heard of it before. It was actually I, I liked it. Cool. Now, I, I don't mean to throw that actually that backhanded actually out there, but I, I enjoyed it. It was good. I appreciate. It. I mean, it's definitely very different than the style um, that we're in now. You know, I don't know. This but is fine. In a in a funny sort of twist, that's how I met Austin Lucas. Was uh, Austin put on a show? Crowds Morning Simon in wow. probably like 2003 or something. So you've known him for a very long time, huh? Yeah, yeah. And we lost touch for a while, specifically when he went over to Prague. But um, we would occasionally email for a rant. I would actually email him like once every two years asking for a show, and he'd remind me that he was in Europe. <laughs> uh, and then we, we got in touch again uh, when I was doing this stuff, and he needed some help with the show. Cool. Um, so, so you've, like I said earlier, you've traveled the world. You've lived everywhere. When you look back at that high school band, are you surprised by the uh, what you've done since then? Yes and no. I, I definitely I feel like I've done a lot. I'm very proud of what I've done on some level, but um, I you know I, I kind of had like grand delusions back then, but the the thought process never changed. It's you know at the beginning it was like, all right got to start a band and then got to get a show and then got to make a record and it was just always pushing to the next thing and I was never really given some huge like big break opportunity it was always just do one job and then work towards the next job and or project and uh and that's always been how I've done it so on some level yeah I think I probably would freak out if you told 15 year old me that I could have toured Europe (laughs) or something like that but uh, on another level it almost was something I expected um, that I would make happen. Not that I would expect that I deserved, but like, yeah. you know, I, I just kind of knew. And, and actually, the drummer in that band, we, we had a pretty weird falling out, and he kind of hated me after a while. But he wrote me a letter at one point that specifically said that I was the one in the band that knew where we needed to go and what to do. And he thought that that was something that, even though he had issues with me, that that impressed him. And then here you are now. <laughs> yeah. Is he upset that you're still out here doing it, maybe? Uh, the last time I heard anything about him, he was telling a mutual friend of ours how I, uh, I'm a terrible songwriter. But that was <laughs> I had five or six years ago. He was going Fair to medical enough. school or something. I don't know. And yeah. then, hey, listen, if, if he's happy, then I'm happy. I don't really care. I, yeah. I harbor no ill will. So at, at what point did you realize that this kind of touring lifestyle was a lifestyle that you couldn't leave? What point were you hooked? Wow. Uh, <clears throat> when I, when my college band, Osmarning Simon, we never broke up officially, but when we slowed to a halt, you know, <laughs> we're essentially in, in the longest hibernation ever. Um, one of the first things I did was I called some friends of mine who I knew needed a singer. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's a lie. They called me saying, hey, our singer just quit. Like, kind of just calling to commiserate. And then my response was, okay, do you want me to learn the songs? <laughs> and uh, I, and then after that band fizzled out, I joined another band, and then I got kicked out of that band. The first thing I did was get on the phone and call and text everybody I knew who I'd met through those scenes and got another job in two weeks. And then when that band got disbanded by the major label that like we were all playing for, it was a, a hired musician thing, the first thing I did was get on the phone yeah. and, you know, on email. So I realized there was never maybe a single moment, but I realized every time I've got the, gotten the opportunity to get off the road, the first thing I've done is, you know, 
start texting, emailing, and calling, and finding where the next job was. And you, and you uh, like you say, you've been a hired gun before. Um, for some similar yet different bands, uh, is it easy for you to be a chameleon and jump in uh, feet first and join these guys? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the first hired thing I did was kind of a backwards hired thing. I It was a friend of mine who started a project that was similar enough to okay. the, what I played, and so that wasn't so hard. The next thing I did was completely out of my element. It was a pop group, and I was backing a young girl and uh it, that was totally crazy but i just had to play the guitar parts and 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 i don't know i guess look good doing it or something <laughs> but that that was the hardest part about that was really navigating the business side it just would make me angry and i, I didn't like the opportunities that were squandered or the the money that was wasted or the way that people were treated i felt like it all just became pure business there was no creativity there was no love for music and there's no appreciation for people and that made me sick all the time yeah. so that was the hardest part I think yeah um, so now you've got a lot under your belt um, as a solo artist or mostly as a solo artist now I'd probably say right yeah um, is it do you prefer traveling on your own or with a group because there's, there's a different kind of camaraderie between the two yeah it's That's totally it. different yeah uh, at this point I mostly tour either alone or with one other person or if it's a group, it's somebody else's group. Yeah. Like so, I, when I went on tour with Austin, it was Austin, uh, or the most recent tour with Austin it was with Austin and his band. When I went on tour with Arliss, it was Arliss as their own band. So that's a little bit different than my previous, you know, group experiences because this is a group that's autonomous and have their own inside jokes and their own home friendships, and so they may go, you know, go on a ten-minute conversation about someone that I've never met, and then I kind of have to decide if it's important for me to know this story or not. Uh, so that's a little bit weird sometimes, but I also really enjoy it because it's really refreshing and, and I get to meet all these new people and yeah. then kind of live in their group for a little while. I do miss having my own version of that. The closest thing I have is my brother and the dude who plays drums on my records uh, and a couple other friends, really, really great friends in New York and Philadelphia will act as my band when I'm there. And so we'll have maybe a rehearsal we'll have the two shows we play together and during that time we are that group we are the making the inside jokes and things like that <laughs> within our our specific group yeah and sometimes it's good to just throw a monkey wrench in there i know on those artless nancy tours i left the tour for like four or five days and went and visited friends and family in new york city and i come back and they're like we're so happy you're back because it changes the whole dynamic sure. even for those guys too yeah absolutely i and, and i found that with me I found I had specific relationships with each of them and hopefully was positive for them yeah of course um, so you've toured with a wide variety of people as a solo artist you know Austin Allison Weiss Weiss is that how you say it Weiss Weiss, Weiss. sorry sorry Allison um, and then here you're here tonight in Denver with Maria Taylor um, what do you get from uh, what do you get out of touring with such a wide variety here I guess those examples I gave weren't the best examples but you do play with a lot of different yeah. people out there in the world yeah, I've toured with punk bands, and I've toured with, uh, you know, Austin and I did a tour with a guy who was, like, ostensibly a folk player, and yeah. Austin's more of a country musician. Yeah, so and then Allison's a pop person. So I, I see what you're saying about the differences. For me, over the last few years, it's all come down to the song. Yeah. If it's a good song, if someone performs it well with integrity, that's what's most important to me. And I, I feel like if you align yourself with people who are writing really good songs or trying to you know if they're on this great path that we're all on 
then I think that their audience will probably feel similarly. Because if you hear a great folk singer, you know, a man or a woman getting up there and telling a great folk story and just killing it, <laughs> then the, the audience must be smart enough to understand it and, and listen to it. Then the hope is if I'm on a similar level, even if it's a, a different sound or genre, hopefully the audience will be willing to give me a shot and we can connect and to be honest when I was in that that kind of when I was playing with some of those more punk bands uh, I it didn't fit and it, it was not really I don't think it was as good for me or as good for the audience and there would be these little glimmers of greatness but I would sometimes be met with blank stares and I remember getting off one time uh, I finished my show in Boston and I went to the merch table and this kid who was probably about half my age came over and he was um at the end of the show he came over and he was sweating from all the moshing he'd been doing and he leaned over and said very quietly hey man don't tell anyone but you were the best person on this show <laughs> and I just thought man the thoughts that must be going through that kid's head where that's like something that has to be secret uh, or maybe doesn't want to you know I don't know offend anyone else but I really loved that moment on one hand because I felt some sort of great f feeling of success but I also felt I shouldn't constantly be an anomaly. I don't think that's right for anyone. Right. I think, you know, I don't want to necessarily preach to the converted, but at the same time, it's nice to show up at a place where nobody's ever heard of me, but maybe there's an opportunity <laughs> that a third of the room is going to really enjoy right. what I do. Yeah. Well, there's got to be some instances like you won that kid over. How does it feel to show up in these places where you don't necessarily fit and went over a crowd? That's a great feeling. That's a big feeling of success. And, you know, my hope is, is that I can make people think whether it's positive or negative things, I want them to be able to think. I don't want them to be negative people, but if there's negative subjects or concepts that maybe they don't often approach you know, with an open mind, I would love if they leave feeling like... I mean, let's be honest. My music... I'm not Jimmy Buffett. My music isn't like fun party time music. I one time... My, the drummer in my older brother's band one time said to me, you don't realize what you're doing wrong. He said, your songs are great, but... Every, look, everyone's butts are in the seats. He's like, you got to yeah. play the songs and get their butts out of the seats. And I realized, like, well, there's a reason why his band draws 20 times more people than me than I do. But at the same time, I like to believe that when people leave my show, hopefully they're thinking about something or feeling something real. And so... And if you go that route, you might sell out a little bit of yourself and your own soul. You go to that seat feeling or whatever yeah. place I'm also just I'm terrible at that so <laughs> no one would be dancing to my songs because I would be thinking I was writing these fun dance songs and it would turn out that they would just be bad me, like mediocre ones whereas hopefully right now I'm just writing good songs or great you know I'm trying to write great songs so it's just a different approach I think I mean the thing is everyone's got a bunch of different itches you just got to figure out which one you scratch you know yeah and so like I, I know that you've said that uh, speaking of songwriting like you do your best songwriting on the road about the people you're around, or maybe I have the quotes wrong uh, or the ideas wrong. I sucked out there. What do you do your best out songwriting at? I, I don't really do my best songwriting oh. on the road just because I find it really hard to get time to sit down yeah. and do it. But maybe what I've said uh, is uh, I've definitely written about people I've met on the road. Okay, I got it wrong. Uh, there that's go. definitely. But often what will happen is, you know, I'll, I'll be kind of taking in all this stimulation and then I'll have to go somewhere and. I don't know, process it. So, yeah, it's the, the songwriting usually doesn't happen on the road, but, but maybe the experiences that create the songs very well could and have. Yeah, so um, what do you take from those uh, experiences? How do those experiences become those songs? 
it's really it really depends you know it's different every time on on the person and what the experience is and what I'm hearing when I was young there was a, a long period of time where I was having trouble dealing with a lot of I don't know a lot of things that most people in their late 20s early 30s deal with which is like coming to terms with who you are uh, and there was a lot of kind of negative and sad topics and people would share those stories with me and I would try and process them and make sense of them but lately I haven't been doing that as much so that may be a, a product of meeting less of these like sort of sad lost people or scared people or and that's not by any means to diminish them because I was scared and lost as well you know we were just a bunch of people commiserating yeah. but um, maybe I'm meeting less of those people or maybe I'm attracting less of them because I feel less that way or maybe I'm just personally less attracted to thinking about that stuff but I would say um, you know what I take from it is kind of what they give me or maybe what I take from it is how I'm feeling at the time I don't know yeah um, so who are your spiritual, like this is a, I thought this was a brilliant question around last night when I wrote it. Now I'm not so sure, but who are your spiritual guides on this journey of yours? Cause you do spend a lot of time alone in the car. Like, uh, who keeps you going or what do you think of that keeps you going? It's funny you say it that way, just because the last time I played with the band, the drummer leaned over to me right before and he goes, let, let me be your spirit guide. <laughs> and uh, just, I think he's ridiculous and I love him. Um, well, you know. The last few years, because the idea of writing proper songs has been so much more appealing to me, I've been digging more into the kind of classic songwriters. So I've spent a lot of, you know, I hated, not hated, I just never liked Springsteen as a kid. Yeah. And I spent some time working on that. Uh, and now, you know, I'll be on the road, I'll listen to Springsteen, I'll listen to Neil Young, uh, Bob Dylan. As far as musicians, it'll be that. And then if, as far as non-musicians... There's a lot of really great people that I've met, friends that I know that I'll see in a day or two, or folks that maybe I've like recently had a, an email or text conversation with. And I find myself often not daydreaming, but kind of just having, furthering those conversations, you know, having more conversation in my head with some of these people. So I would say, if you want to use your terminology of like my spirit <laughs> guides, uh, there's those, those great classic songwriters, and then there's the, the friends and family that have, that have helped me along the way. Cool. Um, so you, you've toured extensively in your car, Sweet Pea. What is Sweet Pea? Sweet Pea is my 1993 Plymouth Sundance, and I'm going to have to start a blog about her because she's the greatest car <laughs> in the world. Uh, what, makes, what makes Sweet Pea so special? Sweet Pea was originally owned by my friend's grandfather, and then my friend got the car from his grandfather. He was the guitar player in Outsmarting Simon. Oh, nice. And... When we stopped playing in Outsmarting Simon, he decided that there was the possibility that this 93 Plymouth Sundance may not be the most reliable car. So he sold it to me for $500 when I had no money to my name. Uh, I had to sell so many things and like beg and scrape and call in all the IOUs and all that and just get everything that I could and just forked over that 500 bucks with my you know face grimacing. And that was like nine years ago. <laughs> And uh, and she just took me everywhere, and she always took care of me. And then my buddy took that 500 bucks and put it towards like a $2,000 hybrid that he thought would last for a long time, and, and that thing died like four years later. So I've taken Sweet Pea across the entire U.S. multiple times, up and down the East Coast countless times, up through Canada, up across Canada. And she's always just been my home. And like when I didn't have a place to sleep, I'd sleep in her, which was not often, but it happened. And when I was cold or when I was hot, you know, like she could usually medium out that temperature. And 
I don't know. She just kind of became a part of my being. And now, I was always afraid to work on cars, but I always wanted to work on cars. I, there was always this romanticism in it. And, uh, and you know, those old American cars are like these, these semi-old, these yeah. like late 80s, early 90s American cars are just like really simple. And the Plymouth Sundance is such a straightforward, awesome car. So I bought a manual. And with the help of Vic from Static Radio and Ryan from Spanish Gamble and a couple other people, I just like got the confidence to start pulling things apart. And yesterday I was driving down the highway and I got a check engine light and I pulled into an O'Reilly's and they checked it and the code said it was either a computer, which would have ended up with labor being like a $500 repair, or it was an alternator with, with labor would have been like 350 or something like that was what they said. So I was like, well, there's no way, of no-. they said there's no way of knowing without pulling out the alternator. So I figured I could do that. So I drove to the store in town that had an alternator, and I pulled my alternator out of the car, and I went inside, and they tested it, and it was failed, so I bought a new one, went outside, cranked it down, you know, fired up the car, check engine light was off, you know, it was gone. I had them come outside and check the battery, which was great. They checked that the alternator was charging the battery. They said, you're in great shape, and I hit the road. (laughs) And it was just a couple of hours, and it was a... A very simple thing. There's no no one in the world who knows about cars that would think that what I did was impressive. But, you know, a couple of years ago, I was afraid to, like, think about changing my own oil. Well, it feels good to do stuff on your own, too. To- absolutely. Mostly. And it was 100 bucks for the part. So I saved, you know, 250 bucks and hours waiting around for somebody to do something. And I was able to just do it myself. And I felt, you know, there's that book, Zen and the, uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And I just kind of feel like the connection that that guy talks about with the road and with his bike and... I just felt I feel like Sweet Pea takes care of me because I take care of her and yeah. you had and you had muffler problems last night yeah my muffler and exhaust uh, split in half and fell off so uh, I I took some hose clamps and an old tin can and uh, created like a cast for it until I can get it fixed nice um, so like you mentioned earlier, you've uh, jumped in the van with like Arliss. Mm-hmm. I know you jumped in the van with Awesome Lucas. What is it like to leave poor little Sweet Pea behind? I actually feel really bad about it, and yeah. I talk to her. Everyone thinks I'm mental, but I, you know, I, I say to her, you know, I'm sorry, I have to leave you. But uh, it feels really weird. You know, it's it's nice to be in other vehicles because um, some people have newer vehicles that are, you know, maybe require a little bit less maintenance or a little bit less like care, but. Um, She's like she's so easy to park. I can fit everything I need inside of her. So it's it's weird, you know, to leave her. But uh, luckily, I have some friends who've been really cool about it. And my older brother lives in North Carolina. He's got a big parking lot, or big parking, you know, driveway. Uh, so usually, I know she's in in good hands. And um, it's weird, but it, it's just kind of the nature of the beast. Yeah. So when you're touring with somebody like Austin, um, you're playing. Not, I mean, Arliss. Too many A names. Um, back into switching gears a little mm-hmm. bit when you're playing with Arliss those guys are backing you up they're being your backing band at what point does at wh- which version of the songs are yours is it the acoustic full band or is it some weird hybrid of both it's, it's a great question I I think so, someone saw me the other night uh, who I met through the Arliss dudes and he said he's now seen me three times the first time uh, I was alone. It was at that show in yeah. Omaha that you were at. I know who you're talking okay. about. So yeah, our, our buddy Chris. Yeah. So yeah. Chris said he saw me in Omaha by myself. Then he saw me with Arliss as a full band. And last night or two nights ago, he saw me playing with Marco. Marco Casso has been playing uh, electric guitar with me. And those are three of you know maybe ten different versions that I've done. But he told me what he really liked was the songs always came through, but he got a very different version of them every time. 
And that's kind of what I feel it is. I think they're all the song. So I write them usually on an acoustic guitar, but often I'll know, like, oh, this song is going to have a band. Because I'll, I'll have songs on my record where maybe it's just like me and a lap steel or something, and then I'll have other ones where it's a full rock band. Usually when I'm writing it, I know loosely what the arrangement will be. I mean, it'll change. The song yeah. I'm in a Bad Way, which I think is one of the better songs I've ever written, or one of the best songs I've ever written, uh, <laughs> if you heard the demo of it, it was like a sad, dark, like... Um, emotionally heavy like sort of dragging song and no one at the time thought it was really all that good me or my brother or any you know people that I involved in my projects it wasn't until we like I worked it a little bit and we sped it up a little bit and then we added the band that we started to realize what it was and now I can play the song acoustic and I think it still works but if I played the original version I don't think it would connect as well yeah. I think I uh, is the demo version available anywhere online no. I've listened to so many versions of it on the internet, like, in the last couple of days. It's probably, I mean, I hate to, no, I mean, it's my favorite song of yours. And on those Arliss tours with those guys, we played it constantly. And even still, like, moments of that song would get stuck in my head for days. So I love that. I love it. Um, Thank you. But anyway, so uh, those guys are on an upward trajectory. You're right there with them. Both of you guys are growing. What is it like to be out there on those road for a month, month at a time, just having every show get better and better and better? I hope so. Um, to watch it grow so organically like that. I think that that's the case with them. Okay. Uh, I don't believe that's the case with me. This this Maria Taylor tour is the probably the biggest, you know, quote unquote, most real tour <laughs> I've ever had. Um, you know, like to the point where my uncle who's going to be 70 this year posted on my Facebook that you know oh, I love Maria Taylor I own three of her albums and you know the fact that like one of my distant family members you know extended family members has heard of someone that I'm going on tour with is pretty impressive and I keep getting these texts and emails and comments from people where they say well, that's so cool you're out with Maria or I love her music and you know the thing is I've gotten that about Austin and about Arliss but really not so many other people you know in the past yeah. it was I was always traveling with my friends and and it was really great times and some of these people that no one's ever heard of are the best songwriters I've ever heard but um, so I don't personally see it for my stuff the only thing that I'm seeing is maybe more and more like there'll be one or two people that will show up and, and will say like hey can you play this song and I'll be amazed that they've heard one of my songs but um, I realize there's a lot of music out there's a lot of people on tour you know yeah. I can't expect uh, everyone to be there every night so well, maybe it's just my my point of view I see you growing and be, people becoming more aware of you as well I do feel I'm growing now, I'm, yeah. I don't I don't mean to sound like I, uh, like I don't care or just flippant about it yeah. but I'm just saying you know this is what I do 150, 200 days a year so there's definitely shows where I'm amazed and, and I do feel that growth but then there's other days where there's five people there and I just wonder why I'm doing whatever I'm doing and and it's funny because like so many you mentioned so many people know who Maria Taylor is I have no idea who she is but I'm a punk rock kid at heart so my sister of all people is like oh my god I love her ask her about the time my husband got drunk and rowdy with her in Dallas I'm not going to do that but uh, uh, it's fun to bring it up right now but um she's a Saddle Creek musician so she you know ran with that whole Bright Eyes crew yeah she sang uh, you know she's part of that crowd the Bright Eyes crowd but She's in Ajore as well, which was, I think, a pretty beloved band yeah. in the early 2000s. And that's that's how my sister knows her and whatnot. So I'm like, okay, cool, thanks. Well, I'm going to go see her. She's like, yeah, I'm so fucking jealous. I'm like, sorry. Her songs are good, man. The band sounds yeah. great. It's really cool to be yeah. on the road with them. Cool. And then you get to play in front of a completely different crowd. 
you're constantly p- performing in front of different crowds. That's, yeah. that's pretty great. Uh, within a year of this tour, like uh, you know, a year ago, I probably was playing for like 15 to 18 year old kids, and two nights ago I was playing to probably 21 to 60 year old people, and I love that that's happening. Yeah. Um, so I know I know this year, I've seen you. This is probably my third time in less than 12 months seeing you, and I know you've been steadily busy the entire time. You don't like sitting at home, do you? Uh, I don't have a home. So. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I do. And I think in the coming years, I'll probably be taking more time off the road. But this is the only regular job that I have. And it's not it's not like I'm making money hand over fist doing it. So the way that I stay alive is by just keep doing it. And I like seeing my friends and I like seeing places in the world. You know, there's like there's certain beers that I want to drink and certain dishes I want to eat and certain restaurants I want to visit, uh, certain bars I want to hang out at, that it just so happens instead of being like, you know, in my hometown and the town next door, it's, there's one in Germany and there's one in Scotland and there's one in California and there's one in Toronto. So if I want to see my friends and, you know, have that cool beer or that good sandwich or whatever, I just got to, got to go see them. And then, you know, Hey, if I sing some songs while I'm there, I'm pretty happy about it. All right, so let's. Uh, I guess I'm about out out of time with you. Um, do you have anything? What's coming up? What's next for PJ Bond? Sometime in the new year, and I can't tell you when. Not because I'm unwilling, but because it's not in any stone. I'll be putting out a new full length. Cool. And it's finished, recorded, and I'm really proud of it. It still needs to be mastered, and uh, I have to find a label who's willing to put it out. But it's it's some of the best stuff I've ever done, and. I think what it's going to do is make a lot of new people like me, and it's going to make some of the old people not like me at all. And I'm okay with that, because to me, my favorite musicians are the ones that grow and they challenge you. And this is by no means a challenging record, but if you own my uh, my full-length alphabetical and if you own the split, you can see there's a difference between those two records. Well, I would like to believe the difference between this new record and the split will be even a further difference than those two. So... Um, if I can do that, then that means I'm doing my job as a songwriter. And if people want to come with me, then I'd love that. And if they don't, well, sorry. All right. PJ, thanks for hanging out and bullshitting with me. Thanks for talking. Thanks yeah. for being interested. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, buddy. Well, all right, buddies. Thanks again to Mr. PJ Bond for hanging out and uh, doing this little interview with me. Uh, after the show, we hung out and bullshitted all night long. And, man, such a good dude. I'm really even more bummed now that I wasn't on that Arliss Nancy tour. But, hey. As always, next time, PJ, if you ever need a tour manager, roadie, merch guy, uh, full-time fangirl, holla, holla at your boy, and I'll do it. I'm all about it, buddies. Uh, so, okay, so before we uh, jump into the live tracks that we got coming at the end of this episode, I once again want to remind you of our sponsors of this week's episode, Illegal Pete's and their soundcheck program. If you're in the Denver area, visit any Illegal Pete's before or after going to see a music or comedy event. Bring in your same-day ticket stub. You'll get a free draft beer with purchase of an adult meal. Holy crap, how cool is that? And they've got beers from, again, Avery, New Belgium, Sky, Odell's, Oscar Blues, and yeah, yeah, they got Coors Light. All of that and more. Visit IllegalPeats.com for more information or uh, follow Illegal Pete's on uh, Facebook. Uh, thanks again for them for uh, stepping up and helping me out with a bunch of stuff that's coming your way. Uh, expect much more. And stay tuned next week. Hopefully next week we're going to have that live interview up with uh, Old Man Markley, live from Legal Pete South Broadway here in Denver. And again, um, if you're not a fan of taking taxi cabs and you want to try something new and you want to try it for free, check out Uber. Okay? Right? 
Uber, use this free co- promotional code P0CCI. You'll receive 20 bucks worth of Uber credit. So basically, you'll be getting a free cab ride in a badass black town car or rad-ass suburban. We used, we used this after the Illegal Pete's holiday party, and I didn't pay a single thing except for a tip. Check it out. It rules. Oh, and if you use my code, I get, some, I get, I get a little credit added to my account, so that way I can go to these shows for free and then have a little bit of money after instead of uh, you know paying a $20 cab ride. I go to these shows. I can spend more on booze to make a bigger ass out of myself during these interviews. Oh, so maybe you shouldn't use this code. I don't know. Anyway, the code is P0CCI. You can also find it on the MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com webpage. Uh, so check that out. Again, thank you, Mr. PJ Bond. He's We're going to join him right now playing a couple, couple live tracks at the uh, Larimer Lounge. Uh, I have the full show recorded, and if I can get PJ's blessing... We'll throw that up on MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com as well. But he, he said he'd like to listen to it before. But he trusted my instincts with uh, picking out a couple songs. And not only are these the last two songs, these are my favorite two P.J. Bond songs. Not only that, he dedicates my favorite P.J. Bond song to me. Blown away, buddies. Blown away. So this is I'm in a Bad Way in Savannah. Once again, from the Brother Bones, Baby Bones project that uh, PJ recorded with his brother Brian back in 2012. 2012. Let's see if we can get these words out. So, okay, guys, visit mostlyharmlesspodcast.com. Like us on Facebook. Visit us on iTunes. Uh, all the above. You know what to do. All right, buddies. Here we go with uh, PJ Bond live at the Larimer Lounge. Well, folks, we got two more, and there's going to be an upper and a downer. I'm going to give you all the choice. How do you want me to leave you? Downer. Down first, I heard. Is that cool? We got a consensus? All right, cool. I like it. Democracy works in Denver. By the way, a few years ago, I was, I was uh, selling merch for a guy who was on a bus. And if you wonder why I keep pulling up my fly, it's because I'm too fat to button my pants. So I have a key ring, so I can easily grab it. But uh, no, I was, I was on a bus, and we were parked outside of the Bluebird or the Orpheum or one of those bigger, bigger clubs. And uh, I was like, I need to go for a walk. So I went to a thrift store and a bar and, and walked around because I had nothing to do but set up merch. And I met two people who took me to uh, the park and we drank juice, J-O-O-S-E juice. Not, not U-I with the healthy vitamins, but the O-O with the alcohol and caffeine. So I drank it. They told me this is where, this is where the people drink. <laughs> so I got photos of it. <laughs> yeah, thanks for bringing me back, Denver. <laughs> We got two more. So we're going to bring it down and then bring you up. That's what we said.
guess maybe I misread the intention again. Said I'd like to fuck you for a couple of weeks. Do what we gotta do. It's not fun anymore. Not full of holes. I'm in a bad way. I'm unlovable. It ain't fun anymore. It's a high shame. Thank you. 